an engineering icon, business leader, and NASCAR legend. On this week's show, John McElroy goes one-on-one with Jack Roush. Coming up next on AutoLine This Week. Underwriting for AutoLine This Week has been provided by Borg Warner. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. We're doing something very different today. Instead of being in the studio, we're actually at the SAE Foundation Gala. The the gala for the SAE Foundation, you're going to learn a lot more about what this is. We're in downtown Detroit at Masonic Temple. We have an audience of, I don't know, it's a big audience. But the reason that we're here is the recipient for the award from the SAE Foundation is Jack Roush. And Jack, I got to tell you, it is such a pleasure to be able to interview you here tonight. Thanks, John. I'm proud to be here. I've, I feel like I've operated and had my uh, business uh, perform in your uh, shadow for many, many years. And I'm glad to, <laughs> I'm humbled to be on stage with you tonight, actually. Well, that's amazing for you to be able to say that because you're actually one of my heroes. Jack, let's get into some of the background of how you got to be selected for this tonight. You have made an incredible career in motor racing. And I'm curious, whatever you got you interested in motor racing to begin with? Well, I, as a youngster, I, uh, uh, in order to have cars that I could drive at 16, 17 years old, I had to take junkyard pieces and uh, do the best I could with them. And by the time I was 22 years old, I'd already uh, taken four big honking V8 engines that didn't belong in little cars, and I put them in little cars. And, and had much better performance than you might expect. Okay, so you got going building your own cars. What got you into actual motor racing? Well, I was 16 years old, and I haven't told you this story before. I was nope. 16 years old, I had my driver's license for, for six weeks, and my buddy that I worked in a body shop with challenged me on a country road in southern Ohio, and uh, I actually went out to pass him. He was dumb along, and I went out to pass him. He slowed down, and I slowed down. He slow, uh, he, I slowed down, and he slowed down with me. And that's all you get at 16 years old and six weeks with a fresh driver's license. So we went out through the country, and I wound up upside down in a creek bed when he knocked me off the road as he slid off uh, through a corner. <laughs> <laughs> at 16 years old. At 16 years old. I went over and over and over and uh, never had a scratch. I lost my penny loafers and I had my coat all, had holes in my coat, which was in the seat beside of me. The door was missing off the right side. The glass was all gone, but I didn't have a mark. <laughs> Thank but I needed you... another car. <laughs> and then you got into all kinds of different uh, categories of motor racing with enormous success. Yeah, I hired into Ford Motor Company at, at, uh, in 1964. I actually bought a 64 and a half Mustang two weeks before I went to work for Ford. I graduated from college. I'd worked fixing bicycles and repairing cars, and I had enough money to buy myself a brand new car, and I bought a new Mustang in, in uh, early May of 64. And I went to work for Ford. I worked in the uh, automotive assembly division on Oakwood Boulevard, and I was in the Dearborn assembly plant helping with quality problems and process problems. Uh, actually, on almost the same date my car was built, I didn't know when it was going through but I had to wait for it because the line was so great for, for people wanting Mustangs at that time. And you've won a lot of races in, over the years, especially in NASCAR racing. Well, I, I, it all started with a group called the Fastbacks in 66. They were a group of 10 Ford engineers, uh, technicians, one nuclear physicist, some person agents, and one lawyer. 
And uh, 10 of us went racing, had a big time, and we raced all over the country. I followed that up with five years with a partner by the name of Wayne Gap, drag racing. And by the time I had 10 years in drag racing, I, I decided that uh, I needed to, I need to become a, a, generate another income stream. And Ford Chrysler, General Motors, and American Motors at the time were all challenged by the, uh, the uh, price of the price point of the cars coming in from overseas. They decided they needed to take 30% of their operational costs from their engineering, wanted to go outside. I was there with a dynamometer, with a machine shop, with a welding shop, a paint shop, and a fab shop. I was ready to go. And how do you think you put together such a string of successes in motor racing? Because your, your record is phenomenal. Well, I've done on the backs of some really good people. You know, I had Bob Riley design my first road race cars. The, the, Zack Speed Roush, the Zack Speed Roush uh, uh, GTP prototype Mustang that we, that we showcased for IMSA in, uh, in 73. And uh, so he, he built the first car, then he built the Trans Am cars that we started racing in 84. And uh, I said 73, I'm in 83. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we started in 84 with the Trans Am cars and we ran ahead a 16 year race of in road racing, 16 years of road racing, it was just incredible. We won 48% of the races we entered all the 24-hour races we entered, it was an amazing time. I don't know how many people realize this, but that kind of success is highly unusual in motor racing. Well, they didn't have the rule book that, like they've got for NASCAR. You know, it's, <laughs> it's a much, much simpler rule book. And with Bob Riley and Charlie Seelix and the other people that, uh, that I had around me at the time, they, uh, they were able to read between the lines, and we had cars that were really shocked, uh, shocking to the competitors. In fact, some of those cars still compete on the, the uh, circus today. That's amazing. Still running today. Well, there's, there's, there's seniors, antique circuits. You know, yeah. that, that use old Even cars. so. Even so. And uh, with your motor racing success, you've built a business, too, Roush Industries. Well, How'd that get going? American Motors first came to my door. They wanted a, 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 a twin carburetors and a dual exhaust for their, uh, for their car. And uh, we built it. Uh, they thought they were going to do the same, go down the same path the Hudson Hornet going down, and they did. But they forgot Hudson Hornet went out of business as well. <laughs> and so anyway, we, we first company through was American Motors. Then came Ford with their catalytic converters and their turbo coupe. We, we were there when uh, Chrysler bought the uh, the American Motors, and they needed to take the uh, the car platform that they had for the plant that was, I think, in Kenosha. And, convert it to, to, uh, to sheet metal for, for the new Chrysler Corporation front-wheel drive car. Anyway, I had a chance to do a number of series of prototype uh, mechanical, uh, sometimes mechanical uh, uh, demonstration cars. Uh, we did the Saturn cars. We built those off uh, uh, Nissan uh, platforms as they built the first Saturn prototype. So we had a, a series of car, new cars that came into being that were, were developed on, on Roush uh, chassis uh, prototypes that, uh, that we still continue to build a lot of today. How did that all get going, that car companies started coming to you? I mean, you mentioned American Motors, but then it, it especially spread to the Ford Motor Company. Well, Ford had decided, and, and it came clear to everybody, as I said, they needed to reduce their engineering costs to get a car to market by about 30%. So to do that, they reduced the size of their staff. In the 50s and 60s, all the car companies were looking at one another. General Motors and Chrysler were all eye to eye and thinking about who had, who was the, the worst, who was going to come with the, the highest uh, tail fins, who was going to have the most chrome, who was going to have the biggest engine. So they were ready to to uh, to redesign every engine for every car and put a new body on it every year. 
Well, their cycles were only that they needed them every two or three years, but they were cock-loaded and ready, which meant they were inefficient. And when they decided to, to reduce their, their, uh, their workload, their, their staff, to the size they could be efficient, then they needed to go outside for the peaks. And we were standing there to deal with their needs at the peak times and to be able to help them with their uh, all kinds of things. Mostly in advanced development, though, right? Mostly in advanced development, but more, more recently we've gotten involved with uh, manufacturing. We do a lot of games, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, entertainment uh, rides for, for Universal Studios and Disney, and we do some things for, uh, for space, for, for, not SpaceX, but for some of the, the, uh, the, the, the aerospace programs going on for the, getting people to and from space. We enjoy all that, but uh, there's a manufacturing component, a, a defense department component that I can't talk much about, as well as the automotive component today. Well, maybe I can get you to talk about some of it, because I'm told that you guys are working on a cryogenic fuel system in, in space that's pretty interesting. I was briefed on that yesterday, and I was swore, had to swear that I wouldn't uh, go too deep into it. but. They're anxious to reduce the weight of the, uh, the, uh, the, of the ballistic missiles that take uh, packages into space. And by, by having somebody develop a six-cylinder inline internal combustion engine that runs on hydrogen and oxygen, they can reduce their payloads by uh, the, the, uh, the system of the, by, by four or five hundred pounds and increase the payload by that amount. And so we're involved with, uh, with building the, uh, the, the engine to be able to do that with. When I found out that we were building an engine for going to outer space that had, a, uh, that had hydrogen as the primary fuel going, th uh, the air going through, the primary gas going through, and we interjected just enough oxygen to keep it running, it was going to be in a zero space environment. I asked well, the guy that told me about it, I said, where's the plug on that sucker? I'm going <laughs> to shut it down because my stuff always blows up eventually, and I don't want to make this out of my news. Did you ever think that you would be working on internal combustion engines in outer space? I would never imagine. In fact, I couldn't wait to get away from the, v from the inline six-cylinder engines to get into V8s. If we were going to go to outer space, I think it should have been a V8. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's interesting. So here's a total gearhead guy with a solid background in motor racing, doing all kinds of manufacturing and advanced development for the automotive industry. A lot of people are not aware that you actually built the autonomous car for Waymo, the Google autonomous car. How did that all come about? Well, it was called EVA. I'm going to say that one day, I, the way I became aware of it, we were in a staff meeting and somebody mentioned how, what the progress of EVA was. And I, my ears perked. I said, what's EVA? They said, well, we hadn't told you about that because you shouldn't know. He says, we're making, we're making autonomous cars for Google. He says, we're going to make about 100 of them. And I think the day after that or the week after that, Google let it, they released it to the press that we were doing the cars for them. And then I was clear. I could know. But uh, we made uh, 150 of the initial order of, of egg cars that run around with, you know, there's an interesting story. They've got a, a park in, uh, in somewhere near the Silicon Valley that runs these cars through a neighborhood. And they got uh, a man that jumps out and tries to act, get, trick the sensors, but they couldn't get a dog to do it. They had to get a mechanical <laughs> dog. That's hilarious. But it's amazing that your company is working on so many things from building Silicon Valley autonomous cars to rockets in outer space. And I know personally you have a tremendous interest in aircraft. 
Well, I do have, uh, I started uh, becoming a, I started being a pilot flying my airplane in the mid 80s when I was road racing. Uh, I think I actually bought the first 421 Cessna in 86. Figured out that I would be safer and uh, I had a pilot made a mistake one night and might have flown us into a mountain because he was lined up to take off on the wrong runway after he got in clearance and I, I was watching what he was doing and I asked him, I said, what are you doing now? And he says, well, I'm getting ready to take off. And I said, you're on the run one, wrong runway by 90 degrees. I knew where he was and he'd gotten clearance and uh, there was no tower there so they, didn't, they weren't watching us. But Anyway, I decided I need to learn to fly and I've become an, <laughs> become an avid pilot. I've got 11,000 hours plus hours now in my, my logbook. I've had three Mustang Laters. I, I've had two airplane wrecks over a period of time that have gained some note. I haven't crashed a Mustang yet. I've still got two good Mustangs. The other one's still flying, I, but I built three. Are you still flying? I haven't flown a Mustang since September. I've, I had Actually, over the winter, I had, uh, had the shingles. I don't know if you've ever had the shingles. I have not, thank goodness. It's not much fun, and uh, it's, it's curtailed my airplane flying, but I, I'll, I'll get in my airplane on Thursday morning and fly to to the fan day down at Charlotte for the uh, World 600, and I'll, I'll be piloting my jet, my premier jet. You've had two very close brushes with death and flying, too, and yet you're, you're still willing to get in a plane and fly it. Well, you know, if you get pitched off by a horse, they say you gotta get back on the horse. <laughs> but I, uh, I had a, a retired Marine Corps a sergeant major save my life in Alabama when I wound up in water with a uh, experimental airplane that uh, they hit a wire with over a bass lake that I was probably lower than I should have been when I hit the wire. But I wound up in five and a half, six feet of water, four and a half, five feet of water. And uh, he went and got me. Most of the airplane was out. He knew where I was. He went down and got me. And I'd hit my head. And they say that sometimes when you hit your head and then go underwater, you stop breathing. My lungs had stayed full of air and I was able to survive. And uh, anyway, I, I enjoy that. that that uh, Sergeant Major Larry Hicks's company whenever I go to, 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 to Talladega. And just to add some uh, background for the audience too is he just happened to be looking out the back window of his house on the lake, saw you crash, jumped in his boat, raced out there, dove down and pulled you out of the plane. It's worse than that. <laughs> he, was over, he, was, he was coming over some, some lung cancer, some throat cancer that he had and he said if I'd have crashed two weeks earlier he couldn't have come and got me. But he was trained as a Marine Corps uh, uh, sergeant majors to be able to extract uh, helicopter pilots from Vietnam when they had the problem of going down into some of the waterways. And so he went and got me, and uh, we're great friends ever since. I can imagine. And thank goodness, because you're here today. Let's talk a little bit about your background, because I think what a lot of people are not aware of is, if I've got this right, you've got a master's in mathematics. And you're somebody at one point of your career that actually taught physics in college. Yeah, I taught uh, math and physics in college at uh, Monroe County Community College for three years. Had a great time with that. But I was getting my business started, and uh, I thought, what can, what can I do to earn an income in about 30 hours a week that, I, that will give me my summers off? And, and junior college teaching looked like the right thing to do to get my business started. But I enjoyed teaching as much as I ever have, and I've had a chance through some of the uh, SA Foundation programs to be able to, to witness some of the classroom uh, projects and experiments that are going on. And I'm really impressed with these kids. You know, they do a great job. And uh, the, the fact that we've got a generation of young folk, youngsters and they've got the volunteers and all the sponsors behind them gives me hope that this industry is uh, the mechanical side of our American economy 
is going to have a future that I wasn't sure it had without being aware of what the SAE Foundation was doing. You, you've mentioned the SAE Foundation, which does a lot of terrific educational work everywhere from uh, literally kindergarten on up into college. What's been some of the things that have impressed you about it? Well, I went to the St. Edith uh, grade school in, in Livonia here, and they had uh, seventh graders with the World in Motion, a World in Motion, AWIM uh, projects going on. And the things they showed me with these 12, 13-year-olds that they were doing was just amazing. When I was 16 years old, to put it in perspective, my dad, I'm sitting at the, at the kitchen table. My, my dad's on the side like you are. My mother's here. My one brother's there. My dad looks me straight in the eye. He says, son, I'll be glad when you leave home. And I said, dad, why is that? He said, because everything I've got has got tankeritis. I had, I had his outboard motor apart, and I had his, his drill apart, but those things weren't performing correctly. I was past the point that I needed to take things apart to see how they worked. I was all into fixing them, so I, I wanted to make them work a little better than they did, and he, he'd gotten tired of it. But he was, he was a great supporter of me. He bought me my erector set, which, which put me in mind of what the World in Motion kids were working with in the Edith, St. Edith's grade school. He bought me that when I was five years old, gave me the same kind of support that I see the foundation doing for, for kids in their early educational careers. And without that, I wouldn't have had a chance to get there. And I think the kids I saw at St. Edith's would not have a chance to do what they would without the foundation as well. You've got a number of these students here tonight. What kind of advice would you give to them or anybody else who may want to pursue a career? Dream large. You know, I, I get uh, people that bring their sons and daughters to me every once in a while. We've, we've not failed to put them in a technical, uh, technical career uh, educational program. I've got uh, half a dozen mechanical engineers that have come and toured with me for half a day as, as high school kids have come back inspired for the things they see going on that they could do in their working life. But anyway, uh, to, to, to follow your dreams, if you have an interest mechanically, don't be told that it's bad. Don't be told that it's dirty. Don't be told it's too much work. Just go do it. You have taken your own advice, really, with your own company. You've gotten into so many different things. We touched on some of them, everything from autonomous cars to rocket ships. But you've also got what uh, part of your business called clean tech and uh, converting engines to be able to run on propane. You, you take the story from there. Why would you get into that? Well, we've got an interest in alternate fuels and, of course, the preservation of the environment and the condition of the atmosphere. You know, we've worked, we worked with hydrogen cars, we've worked with natural gas cars, we've worked with electric cars in the past, so we've got a history of working with those systems. And when it became clear that auto, glass, auto gas had a, had a place and we had so much auto gas that was coming off, 10% of the, of, the, uh, of the natural gas that comes out of the ground is propane or autogas, uh, one of the, the primary uh, uh, burn-offs of uh, the, the cracking process for petroleum to make gasoline and diesel is propane. When you go by a, a refinery in, in the middle of the winter and see this plume of flame coming off, they're burning off the propane because they don't have a place for it in the ground. So we've got more propane that we can use. Propane burns cleaner. And it, uh, it has uh, almost the same power and uh, has the same power and t same torque in, in spite of the fact that it has 15% less BTUs per gallon than gasoline does. Propane's a great fuel. It's good for the atmosphere. It's good for the economy. We've got lots of it. And we, uh, we, we've put it in uh, Domino's pizza cars. We've put it in uh, Swan's uh, delivery vehicles. We've got uh, 
uh, Bloomberg school buses, the, the list goes on and on. We make thousands of vehicles a year that are powered on propane. Most of them have Ford engines. Yeah. And you just brought up one of the other vehicles I wanted to talk about, the, the Domino's Pizza delivery vehicle. That's a custom-built vehicle just to deliver pizzas. How'd that project come about? Well, they called one day and said that they, they wanted a small vehicle to be able to have an oven and be able to deliver a pizza hot. And uh, they decided that, that the way that they had their, their teenagers delivering their pizza in their own cars was not, uh, was not presenting the right image. So they came to us with uh, the ideas. We set our managers down and lo looked at the platform. There was a Chevrolet platform that they wanted to use. Looked at that platform and uh, we decided that if we did some design work, we could make it crash and we could, uh, we could make it uh, the systems work and, and be okay for the 12 volt electrical system we had. And so we built one series of those vehicles. I don't think we have any of them in production right now, but I understand we're in conversation about a, a run to come in the future. What they did is they, they, stopped, they, they stopped production on the, on the platform that we had, and they had to go through the, 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 the development process to get another platform approved, and they decided not to do that right away. One of the things I loved about that car, the pizza delivery car, and I thought this was so clever, is as you mentioned, there's an oven built into it's the back of it. it. The heating element, came from the seat heater on the passenger side, which they didn't need. They pulled that out of the vehicle and decided, here's the way that we can uh, heat up the oven. Yeah, you may know more about it than I do, because I, <laughs> I, I, I would assume they had to upgrade the, uh, the, the alternator system to generate the more BTUs. I, w I would doubt that the amount of heat they had in the seat was adequate by itself, but they re recharged the, uh, the, uh, the specs on the electrical system and put insulation in it, made it so it was safe for the driver. Down the road you go. Yeah, well remember, they're not baking the pizza, they're just trying to keep just it warm. Just trying to keep it warm. <laughs> right. Jack, what's the future? Where do you see yourself going, your company going, or even the automotive industry going? Well, you know, the one of the goals that I've had for my company is it would out outlive me. One, some of the early, we had a, a fellow by the name of Peter Schutz, who had uh, been the chairman of Porsche, and he was, uh, I think, in charge of one of the diesel companies uh, in the United States. For he was the, the chief engineer for one of the for one of the diesel companies. I think it was Cummings, and uh, he he was on a speaking tour, and he came back, and he, he impressed me by he convinced us. He had all the managers together. I think he was there for three occasions, and he said, "People need to get old, but companies don't have to." So if you if you regenerate yourself, if you're constantly looking for new things to do, if you stay up with the technologies, if you keep the average age of your person, of your people below the retirement age, you don't have to get old. Well, I'm, I'm approaching, I'm 75 years old, I'm approaching the age when I'll no longer be useful, but we've got a lot of young people that are coming hard. What, as you look at automotive technology, really excites you? Well, the electric cars, the idea of being able to regenerate uh, like the Prius does with the, 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 the brakes making electricity, be able to charge the battery you know, when off, the, off the internal combustion engine when it's going, be able to use the electric car you know, when it makes sense going slow enough, be able to plug it in at night to get some of the benefit of the, of the, power, uh, the electrical power efficiencies generated. You know, to be able to do all that, uh, I think that's the future, is some kind of a composite uh, power system that has, has opportunity to use electric out of the, out of the wallboard as well as uh, gasoline out, out of the tank. And autonomous cars, what's your view of that? <sighs> <laughs> 
When I was 16 years old, I couldn't wait to get my driver's license. And my, you know, what goes on with so many kids today and so many people that don't like to drive, I don't, uh, that, doesn't, that doesn't compute for me. You know, to be able to, to pull up, and I drive one of my Mustangs or one of my Camaros, I pull up in a, uh, to a traffic light and just wait for somebody to drive along beside of you and <laughs> see if you can beat them to 35 mile an hour or whatever the speed limit is. <laughs> I don't think that you, you get that with an autonomous car. Yeah. <laughs> well, as, as you can tell, the audience is behind you on that one. Of course, we've got a room full of gearheads here tonight. Yeah. How much time do we have left? We're, we're down to the last couple of minutes. I had, a, I had a drag race one day with a guy in Allen Park, Michigan. I was at a traffic light, a 442 Osmo come alongside, rap, 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 he's rapping the, the gas. We make a turn around, my car was faster, and I, but I kept him interested up until we got on the 70 mile an hour expressway. And as we got 70 mile an hour, I, I really hadn't broken the speed limit and the police were coming. They pulled us over. They stopped with him. In just a heartbeat, he'd left, burning rubber again. I said, this is going to be good. The guy came up to me. <laughs> the cop came up to me. His face was as red as tomato. As the, the juggler was stuck out. says, all right, his, has, his wife's having a baby. What's your excuse? <laughs> all the way to the speed limit. Yeah. All perfectly legal if it's all under the speed limit, limit, right? Except for the burning rubber part. Yeah. Jack, i got to tell you, it's, it's been a real honor being able to talk to you tonight. You have been inducted into the, the Motorsports Hall of Fame. Uh, later this summer, you're going to be inducted into the Automotive Hall of Fame. Here tonight, you're being awarded by the SAE Foundation. I mean, this, this has got to be terrific for you. You know, I've been nominated for the NASCAR Hall of Fame. I've not been inducted yet. That, that okay. issue's being decided right now. Okay, I got ahead of myself, but yeah. I think you're going to get there anyway. Yeah. Well, that, that may or may not happen this year, but I'm really excited about the Automotive Hall of Fame in Detroit here. That's a great honor, and I, I feel that honor, as well as the honor from the SAE Foundation tonight, has really made a, a very successful culmination to my 50-year career. Jack Roush, what a pleasure. It's Thank been you. just Thank terrific. You, yeah. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Look at this. Look at this. Standing ovation. Underwriting for Autoline this week has been provided by Borg Warner.